Lord God, I pray for this congregation today. Jesus, be here. Take it all away. Take everything, Jesus. You are good, God. You are good. Amen. If you'll say the Lord's Prayer with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom. You may be seated. Well, you might have been expecting someone a little taller and a corver, but my name is Caleb Belzer. Um, I'm a junior over at Pella Christian High School. Um, I did an internship here at Third Church with Clayton Corver and Brett Wiersma, and um, Clayton asked me to read scripture today and pray and share my thoughts. So. If you would open your Bibles to Psalms 33, 20 through 22. So keep in mind that this week we're talking about patience. The fruit of the Spirit is patience. So Psalms 33, 20 through 22. We wait and hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust his holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. Now turn to 1 Peter 4, 12 through 19. 1 Peter 4, 12 through 19. See, that's also on the screen. So it says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange was happening to you. But rejoice, and as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted in the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear the name. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household, and if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. People of God, this is the word of God. So when Clayton told me to read these scriptures, the first thing that stuck out to me was joy. So in the first Peter verse, it says in verse 13, but rejoice and as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. And then in the Psalms verse, it says, In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust his holy name. Now we're talking about patience this week. And what I found that patience in the Lord, through patience in the Lord, comes the joyness of the Father, the true joyness of the Father. Like in verse 13, it says, when his glory is revealed. 
Now, God's glory isn't always revealed right away. Like, sometimes it takes days, sometimes weeks, sometimes months, years, even longer. But that doesn't mean that being patient in the Lord means to give up. That doesn't mean let him do everything. In verse 19 of the first Peter verse, it says, continue to do good. And in verse 20 and 21, it says, he is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust his holy name. Being patient in the Lord brings the joyness of the Father. I was talking with Clayton the other day, and I've only known him for about two weeks, but he's been such an awesome guy. And I asked him this interesting question. I asked him if he found joy through the death of his brother, Kirk. Now, in March, it'll be the third year, third year after Kirk has died. And what Clayton said was yes. Clayton did find joy through the death of his brother because he said, I now have a greater ability to enjoy the little things in life, and it makes me live more in the moment. Clayton trusted in the Lord. He pursued God and knew that his will would prevail. And eventually, God's glory was revealed. Now, I was watching a sermon by Stephen Furtick, who is a pastor in North Carolina at Elevation Church. And he brought up the verse that most of us know, uh, Romans 8, 28. I had to bookmark it because I don't want to mess it up. And now we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. In all things, God works for those who have been called. And something he said after that really stuck out to me. He said, I don't know how, but I know who. I don't know how I'm going to get through this season in life, but I know who's going to get me through it. I don't know how I'm going to get through this COVID going on, the inauguration coming up, everything going on in our country, but I know who is going to get me through it. Being patient in him, his true joy will flow through when his glory is revealed. I looked at other versions of these verses that Clayton showed me, and I found the message translation of verse 19 of 1 Peter 4. And I think this sums it all up. So if you find life difficult because you're doing what God said, take it in stride. Trust him. He knows what he's doing. He'll keep on doing it. Being patient in him, his true joy will be revealed when his glory is revealed. Thank you for letting me share my thoughts. And now, Woo! Clayton. Come on. We should just worship and leave, huh? I think we're done. <laughs> Kayla, well done. I was thinking about this before. I would never do that. I was nervous to give in speech class in high school. If I learned about the speech class, at the end of the semester, I was nervous the whole semester about that one speech. So we just asked, Kayla, would you do this? He said, sure. Would you do this? Sure. Would you do this? Sure. I admire your pursuit of Jesus and your willingness. So thank you. Thanks for sharing. All right, so we're going to keep moving through uh, sharing the fruit of the Spirit today. We're sharing the fruit of the Spirit called, like Caleb said, patience. I want to uh, circle back to some overarching things. I don't know why I have my pen still. Uh, uh, I've had in here a lot this week. 
um, that is being talked about in the other room as well. So there's been some overarching questions we've been wrestling with. You've been in sanctuary, you've been in here, we're trying to kind of mold it all together. So the series in the sentence, which I heard again this morning at 8 o'clock, you know, I had this thought, we binge watch a lot of things. Why don't you binge a little at church today? Come here at 9.15, it's over there again at 11. Just go back and forth, it's good. It'd be a good start to your week. But the sentence is this, how can we cultivate the soil of our hearts into a circus of distractions? In the other room this morning, my dad was talking about how the Holy Spirit is so sensitive. It's hard. If there's lots of distractions, he will actually remove himself. He won't come in when there's lots of distractions, lots of noise. So how do we learn to be quiet, to be present, so we can hear him, so we can walk with him? That's what we're asking. And so I heard this story this week, and I thought of Brett Weirsman as I heard it, so I have to share it, of course. But uh, Brett's been talking about how he has forcibly removed distraction from his life. If you pay attention in Advent and last week, he removed social media from his life because he thought he needed to do that. He's feeling led to do that. So I heard the story about Beethoven this week. Made me think of Brett. So Beethoven, dum, 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 dum. I'm not musical at all. That's my best field to move. You know. But we all know the song. So Beethoven, like, he altered music. Like, he changed the trajectory of music. He's this great composer, performer. I learned that Beethoven became deaf in life. I, I don't think I actually knew that. But you, one would assume if one became deaf and you're great at music, you probably became deaf and you wrote your music before you lost your ability to hear, right? That's not what happened to Beethoven. So he becomes deaf. Before, before he was brilliant. He was amazing. But I read that he sounded like everybody else. Talk about distractions. So he was, he was excellent. He sounded like his teacher. He sounded like the other excellent people of his day. But when he lost his hearing, he had to lay his ear on the piano and listen for the vibrations. So it totally changed his music. I don't know, you dropped it octaves, Phil, is that right? I don't know. So it changed his music. But he became Beethoven. He became this composer that we still listen to today. Listen to this, this quote. Deafness freed Beethoven as a composer because he no longer had society's soundtrack in his ears. That was, how about you, Brad? Wow, but so deafness freed Beethoven as a composer because he no longer had society's soundtrack in his ears. So how do we develop the ability to cultivate our hearts, which is like the deepest place of who we are? Jesus would say that out of the overflow of the heart, we speak, we live, we act. It all comes in this deep place. How can that place become quiet enough to hear the Holy Spirit? Because we know it's not going to get less quiet. Uh, so I have a graph for you. So this graph, I think you can pull it up, is this, so this is the amount of information since 1900, even before that. So I'm not sure if you've heard this or not, but so this is the amount of information that you could access, you could learn about, you could find. So before 1900, it doubled once every 100 years. Really slow. Most people didn't even live to see it double. But by 1945, it was doubling every 25 years. It's getting a little faster. By 1982, it was doubling every 12, 13 months. And now they think... And the guy who found this, his name is R. Buckminster Fuller, fun name to say. But, so by, but now, it's every 12 hours. So let's say you wake up at 7, you go to sleep at 7. The amount of information you could find, the amount of voices you could listen to, the amount of news sources you could find has doubled. I learned, that I think that Amazon like ran out of podcast mics during COVID. There's so much noise. There's so many things. Who's right? Who's wrong? I have no idea. I don't think anybody has any idea. How do we develop the ability to be quiet? I think it's going to be really hard, which leads to our second question for the whole series. Who or what is the primary source of your spiritual formation? What is forming your heart, your most inmost place? 
from where you direct and do your whole life. What is forming it, and what's the fruit of it? So I had this thought. We are saved by grace through faith, right? Jesus came, lived like we couldn't live, died for us, rose from the dead, conquered death. So now we get to partake in his life with him forever, right? But I had this thought that what forms me, though, is I could have a lot of say in what forms me. I mean, I choose what I watch and what I don't watch. I choose who I listen to and don't listen to. I choose those things a lot, right? So there's a whole bunch of, we got to make some choices and some decisions. And so today we're trying to figure out is, is what's forming me, ask yourself that question, creating patience or impatience? And I found this very fascinating. Uh, so God, in his self-description in Exodus, which is probably the most quoted verse in the Bible by the Bible, he describes himself as patient. He says, I am the Lord, the Lord. Says, first, first thing he says, I'm compassionate and I'm gracious, but I'm slow to anger. So the Lord's patient. I thought that was fascinating. But uh, in week one, Tom said that we all bear fruit. So we're moving into this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. So, but Tom said, if we all bear fruit, is it good fruit? Is it bad fruit? He had a list up there, and you had to look on both sides and kind of see what is actually coming out of me. What are people experiencing as they're doing life with me? Fruit of the Spirit is love. Then from love come all these other things, so patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. I've been drawn towards the word hope this week. So when Paul talks about love and the most famous verse on love in the Bible, which I haven't used at their weddings, you know, 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind, all that kind of stuff. He ends with, so there's three things that remain. There's faith, hope, and love. And I've just been thinking about hope. And I think about patience. I'm trying to figure this out. So my sentence for today is hopping towards hope. That's what we're going to do. Hopping towards hope. And this is why I think that. I think if you have no hope for the future and no hope for today, you can't be a patient person. If I have no hope, how can I possibly be patient? No, so John Bon Jovi said this. It's my life. It's now or never. I ain't going to live forever. Well, if John is right, how can I be patient? I have a finite number of days. I have a finite amount of time. I'm trying to live my best life. I'm trying to be happy. So if I'm trying to be happy and do what I want to do, I don't have time for you. I got to do what I want to do. I don't have time for you. You have a different opinion than me. I don't want to talk to you then. And the great thing is on my phone now, I can just really just get rid of all of you. I can follow only my people and my apps and follow my news source, and I just get rid of everybody else. I don't have to be patient for you. But if John Bon Jovi is wrong, and I actually live for forever, I've got tons of time. You're having a hard day? You're sad? You need to talk about something? All right, let's talk. I've got nothing but time. So if I'm a hope-filled person, I'm a patient person. So we're hopping towards hope. So this is where we're going to go today. Three things. We're going to talk about what is Christian hope? What is a disciple of Jesus' hope? How does hope lead to patience? And I'm going to ask you, uh, would you practice patience this week? So where does my sentence come from? You know, I, I, I like to read. I've been learning. that. Uh, so some, some linguists believe that the word hope and hop share the same root. So if that's accurate, that, that, that would convey that to hope for something means to leap in expectation. It means to hop towards the possibility. So last week, Brett brought up this photo of Michelangelo's famous photo of there's God and there's Adam. But I've been thinking about this all week. Who is hopping towards who here? God is, he's straining towards Adam. He is moving towards Adam. What is Adam doing? 
he's lounging. He's kind of just like, yeah, God, I guess so. If you want, I, I mean, you can come be a part of my best life. You come, I got some things that I want to do, how I like my life to go. Just so you know, when it, when it doesn't go well, I'll probably get mad at you. But you can come to me. But today I want to talk about hopping towards our hope. And what I've kind of found is that I think that hope is a bit of a junk drawer word. Uh, when I say that, my junk drawer at home has got a screwdriver, I think a golf ball, I'm not sure why, I don't really golf, uh, some keys, like a light socket cover for my little kids, some chains, and some just different stuff. Hope has really just become grown-up wishful thinking. It's, 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 it's passive. We hope for all kinds of things. We hope that uh, traffic's not bad, not a problem in Pella. I used to live in Chicago. Uh, we hope that our, uh, uh, our checkout line at, at the grocery store is short. I always guess wrong. My wife chooses for us. But also, if you're going to go to, if you want to, just for you, Trader Joe's in Des Moines, don't go there on the weekends. The line is out the door. Yeah, wait for forever. So, but we hope the line is short. Yesterday, I hoped the Packers would win. They did. That was great. But I don't do anything to help them win. I don't, I, I don't, I don't do anything. We hope for big things, too. We hope for a good diagnosis. We hope for healing, all kinds of things. But what I've been struck by is largely hope. I look like him. I'm just kind of waiting. I, I hope for that. But I think, I think that hope's not supposed to be that way. So I read about this. There's this Gallup poll that just came out. And uh, they polled our whole country, everybody. How is your mental health? How do you think we're doing? We're at an all-time low. Across the board, every age group, people group, whatever you want, across the board, except for one group. One group improved a little bit. They got, they got a ways to go, but they improved. It's those who frequently attended a church gathering. Only people group that is better this year than last year, mental health-wise. Now, I don't, I'm not saying I love that you're here, and I hope you'll be here. But if you can't be here, we gather in homes. Would you gather with someone? If you can't gather with someone, would you call someone? Just talk to them. Gather together. It seems to be an important thing when it comes to having some hope. So what is Christian hope? We're going to go into Psalm 33 where Caleb was at the beginning. But before we read our passage for today, uh, I want to talk through quickly what uh, is happening beforehand. So David's probably the writer. And David, to start this psalm, said he calls us to sing and to worship and to praise God who created all things. He said he separated the waters, he filled the earth with everything. Not only did he create the earth, he said that he still rules the earth. So he didn't create it and leave, no, he created it and stayed. That's the guy he's talking about. He says plans and purposes will be accomplished, that no, one, no power on earth can alter his ending. Uh, he says he's faithful. He says that this God that he's talking about, David's talking about, loves justice and righteousness which in David's world means that he loves to restore things to how it's supposed to be. It's a little different than my justice. He wants to restore things, relationships, to how they should be. That's what he loves to do. Um, and he watches over each of us who are his. And ultimately, he will save us from death, which is eternity without him. Because we do, I disagree with John Bon Jovi. I don't think this is it. I think the dash, there is no end date. There is a date, but it's not. We keep going on. So this is where we pick up the text. Because of all those things, because of God, who, who God was, who he is, who he will be, David says this. He says, we wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love rest upon us, O Lord, even as we put our hope in you. Did you catch all the present tense verbs, all the language he used? He said that we wait. 
not that we waited. He said he is our help and shield, not he was. He said in him our hearts rejoice, Caleb taught that a lot, not rejoice. He said for we trust in his holy name, not trust him. He said may your unfailing love be with us, Lord, with us now, with us today. Today we need your love. He says as we put our hope in you, not since. I think sometimes we think that I put my hope in Jesus. I did that. I'm done. No, David seems to say, no, we keep putting our hope in Jesus. This is an active every day, over and over and over, putting our hope back in him. We're still hoping. We're still hoping. We're still hoping. We're moving towards our hope. So David's hope is active. It is certain. It's expressed. Remember, he lives out of his hope. It's anything but passive. Second verse that we read today was from 1 Peter. And I got to look into Peter a little bit. What do you think Peter thought hope meant in his life? So if you remember in the fall, we've been doing this exile thing for a while. And Peter's talked a lot about being alert. Always about being alert. Be sober, be alert, be ready. Why? Wondering. Let's look at his story. So, man, I think I got to get my hair cut a little bit. It's getting in my face. Uh, so sorry. Um, uh, I lost my spot. Oh, yeah. All right. So it's been a long time. The Lord's been quiet. All of a sudden, Jesus comes. And he picks Peter. Peter's like, wow, okay, like, this is the guy I've been waiting for. He has high hopes for who Jesus is or who Jesus will be. He's like, he's going to come or overthrow the Romans. We're going to do all this different stuff. But then Jesus decides to die on a cross. And Peter's hopes are dashed. Who he thought God should Jesus should be. What he thought he should do, he, he chose not to do. So what happened? Jesus is going to be crucified. He's with a group of people. And Peter's in the same room as him. And within earshot, probably, someone says, hey, do you know Jesus? Peter says, nope, I don't. He distanced himself from Jesus. That's not the hope I thought. That's not the hope that I wanted. Nope. But the good news is that Peter's story is not over right there. There's this thing called grace and forgiveness in this book. It's pretty nice. So Peter changes. So Jesus dies. Jesus comes back. Maybe they're starting to think, what is going on exactly here? So we pick up this story. It's the end of John. So Peter and his friends go fishing on a boat. I imagine to clear their heads. I drove by the lake yesterday. It looks very quiet, very peaceful. It's a great place to think. So they're out fishing, right? And Peter's buddies. And then someone from shore, they haven't caught any fish all night. Someone from shore says, hey, have you caught any fish? I imagine being in the boat, being like, who is this guy? He's like, no, no, thanks. No, we haven't caught any fish yet. There aren't any fish. Thanks for reminding us. Yeah. And then the guy, the guy in shore says, hey, what if you put your net on the other side? I'm, if I'm the boat, I'm like, so the fish who aren't right here, they might be right over here. Yeah, sure, sure, guy. Yeah, we'll do that. We'll do that. But then you're like, oh, I guess maybe we'll do that. So they throw the nets over, and what happens? Tons of fish. It's at this moment that someone on the boat goes, I think that might be Jesus. So what does Peter do? Peter hops out of the boat to swim to Jesus. He hops, so the guy who distanced himself said, I don't want that Jesus, now is he's actively jumping out of a boat. And I'm going to guess that those in the boat were probably going to turn the boat around in just a moment and go to shore nice and dry, right? Maybe two extra minutes. Peter couldn't wait. He hopped out of the boat to get to Jesus. We're hopping towards our hope. So later on in life, Peter says this about his hope. He tells the church that you have a priceless inheritance it's kept in heaven for you. It's pure. It's undefiled. It's beyond the reach of change in the case, beyond the reach of this life. Can't touch it. Hope to live from today. So a guy named Jay Kim, who I got a lot of this information from, says this is what a Christian's hope is. I think we have a slide for it. It is a gritty 
and often grueling grip on something far more substantive. It's a resolute, unwavering hold on something that has happened and will happen. So I had this thought. If I have a grip on something, where am I? This is my wife. If I'm holding on to my wife, guess what? I am holding her. I got a firm grasp on her. I have moved all the way to her, and I am holding her. Faith in Jesus is not passive. We're moving towards him. He's moving towards us. He comes almost the whole, I mean, he comes, I'm not getting that talk. He comes a long ways, but we get to come towards him. So how does that hope result in patience, though? We're talking about patience today, right? You forgot, probably. It's not, about, not just hope. We're about patience today. All right, here we go. So now we're going to go to 1 Peter 4, and I'm just going to read 12. You can turn your pages if you want. I like turning pages. I'm not good on screens. I get lost. He says this. Peter says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you're suffering, as though something strange were happening to you. He says, Dear friends, don't be surprised. Shmi says, be patient. Dear friends, don't be surprised. Be patient. So don't be provoked. Don't be annoyed. Don't complain. Be patient. So life comes at us, comes flying at us. Back to our overarching question, what's been formed inside of me? My response, I can't be molded by what comes in. It's outside stuff. What is inside of me? What has taken place so I can then respond to it? So tomorrow, we're celebrating the life of Dr. Martin Luther King. And he said this one time. He said, as my sufferings mounted, I soon realized there were two ways I could respond to my situation. Either to react with bitterness or seek to transform the suffering into a creative force. I love that. A creative force. When I think of a creative person, it's, it's life. It's, it moves me. It's life-giving. Take my suffering, and I can make it into a creative force. He said, I have lived these last few years with a conviction that unearned suffering is redemptive. So do you know uh, who Peter's friends are in this story? Dear friends? So if his friends walk down the street, you want to know what people thought of them? They thought, they really thought this. I'm trying to imagine this being thought of me. I can't. They thought that his friends were cannibals, atheists, and they were incestuous. So as they walked down the street, that's what people thought about them. I've been trying to think of like a words today. Maybe you, you think for, for you, what's something that someone would think about you that would just like almost, it would just revive, it just, oh, it would just feel disgusting to be thought of in that way. A cannibal, an atheist, and an incestuous. Why? Well, they, like we did last week, they ate the body of Jesus and drank his blood. So it's, a, it's a twisting of, of the truth, making it evil. They, in a pluralistic society where you can choose your own way, you can do whatever you want to do, just don't tell me there's only one way. Well, they said there's just one way. So you're an atheist. You don't believe in anything. It's garbage. And then they're incestuous because they would say things like, I love you, brother, or I love you, sister. Those are all like pretty good things, right? And they've been twisted. Can you imagine doing a good thing and being thought of in that way. I can't. I wrote down sticks and stones don't break my bones, but they can stick with me. Right? They do. We're human. We're susceptible. We have bad days. And one of those bad days, we, man, really? You think, you think I eat people? You, I mean, that would really mess with me. But dear friends, be patient. Endure. So one of my translations, and Caleb actually showed me this. Nice job, Caleb. Uh, 
it said this about this verse. So it's just verse 12. It says, Beloved ones, do not be surprised at the cauterizing fire among you, which comes to you as a trial. So I didn't know what a cauterizing fire was until recently, the week before, before he showed me this. I was like, oh, there's something to this. So a cauterizing fire burns the skin, right, to seal it. It keeps infection that's outside from getting in. So I'm thinking about these people. The first Christians, our church parents, had to know whose they are and who they are. They had to firmly know that I'm a son and I'm a daughter of the Most High God. You can say whatever you want about me, but I know what that is. Maybe they had to have a, it had to be cauterized inside of them, burned inside of them, so infection could not get in. And then Peter has the audacity to say, even though all this stuff happens, continue to do some good. Keep doing good things. I wrote this down. From the beginning, God's been looking for partners to show the world what he is like. What did he say he was like in his self-description? He's patient. He wants us to show the world what it means to be patient. Oh, you screwed up again? Okay. Let's keep going together. Let's keep going together. He wants us to show them. So, it's been said here at this church quite a bit. You're probably the only Bible most people will ever read, but no one reads. So, you're probably the only Bible people follow on Instagram or binge watch. People are watching you. They're paying attention to you. And they're probably not going to read this. What are they watching? What are they following? Are they liking your pictures? I don't know. I'm not sure why I said that. But back to our overarching question is who or what is forming you? So the early church, what was forming them? Well, probably stories of Jesus from Peter, right? And what did Peter say about Jesus? What did people say about Jesus? He's a drunkard. He's a glutton. He hangs out with the wrong people. You know what he's doing with those people, right? They heard all those stories. But then they said, well, what did Jesus do? Well, Jesus lived and died and rose, and he was patient with all of us. He's still being patient with us, right? So what did the church do? I'm thinking about what Martin Luther King said. He turned suffering into a creative force. So you think I'm a cannibal, that I eat people? Well, guess what? When it hits the fan and you have no food, what are they known for? You come to my house. I'll feed you. We'll share whatever we got. Show them. We actually show them who they really are. Oh, you think that I don't believe in anything? Well, the world is crazy. I mean, you saw that slide today. The world is crazy. Who's right? Who's wrong? Which news source do I watch? Who do I not watch? Who's? They said, don't worry. We know the way. When you're ready, come on. We know the way. And then when your friends, your family, your culture says, you're, you guys are out to lunch, you're just, we don't want you. When you get, when you get we don't want you. What did the early church do? I love you, brother. I love you, sister. There's room in our family. We're patient. We forgive. There's grace. We change. We grow. They turned their suffering into a life-giving creative force. But they had to be patient. So, uh, you got some time. Perfect. I was thinking about my life a little bit. And... Uh, so when I was young, in this church, I stood in front of church and I made a faith profession. I said, Jesus is my king. He is my savior. I believe in him. I was in middle school. But then, I, I played sports, right? I liked basketball. I started to really like basketball. Like basketball became a thing. Basketball became like who Clayton is. So I worked on it and worked on it and worked on it. Got a scholarship, was feeling pretty good about myself. 
in a preseason drill my sophomore year, I banged knees with somebody. And the bone in my joints right here died. Sophomore year. So from then on, I spent more time with Scott Kerr, our, our trainer, than anyone else my whole college time. All the time in the training room. And who I thought I was and what I thought I wanted just slowly just dissipated. I got to, have, I got to finish a career. We got to have a fun time with some different things. But what I wanted didn't happen. But I had this thought about cauterizing fire. I made a decision way before about who I am and what matters to me and how I want to live. But some infection had been sneaking in to my life and something else had replaced that. So I feel like my knee injury, I think God did it to me, to be honest with you. I think he, allowed, he, he said, sure, he needs to hit knees with somebody. I have different plans for him and he's not really paying attention to me right now. I was not meant to be a basketball player. No one's really meant to be a basketball player. Careers are short. I mean, come on. There's more to life than sports. I love sports. But you say, that's not who you are. You're supposed to do this. You're supposed to marry my wife. You're supposed to have two little girls. And guess what, Clayton? You think a knee injury's hard? It's not. But I have to patiently form you. There's to be some hard things. Because I have to cauterize some stuff deep inside of you. Otherwise, you're not going to make it. And I need you to have hope because I need the world to know who I am, what I've done, and I am patient with them. I'm waiting for them. I'm moving towards them. So, what do we do this week? I'm going to ask if you would practice some patience this week. by prioritizing one in-person relationship. Could you pick one person this week? Maybe today, maybe tomorrow. Just pick one. Would you be patient with them? Would you prioritize them? If they're having a hard day, would you, just, would you just stop whatever you're doing? And would you just listen? Would you just be present? Would you maybe pray for them or bless them? So check this out. Everyone put your hand in front of you. I love this. I just learned this. All right, so you look at your hand, right, and look past your hand. Can't see your hand anymore, right? I need to pick one person this week and look at them. So look back at your hand. And what I love next is that it's in my reach. I can reach them. Pick one person. Place your hand on them. I've been really into blessing this year. Love blessing. Something really good about blessing somebody. A couple things. It's life-giving. I think people actually shine when you bless them. I think, when you, I think you bless them in Jesus' name. When you do, you actually place his name on them. He says when his name is placed on them, that he blesses people. Bless them with your time. Bless them with your presence. Bless them with generosity. Just, just choose one person. One person. Hop towards them. Move towards them. Don't wait for them. One in-person relationship. I'm just going to hang out here for a second because I want you to be thinking about somebody. I think the Holy Spirit does that. I think there will be someone in your life this week who needs to be prioritized. Who's going to need you 
Are, we, are our hearts, are we ready? Are we not distracted to actually watch them, be with them, see them? So Steph Heatbrink sent me this after a staff meeting about blessing. I think it's beautiful, so I'm going to read it. Whenever we offer a blessing, it is an intimate act that acknowledges we are connected with one another and that we desire the wholeness of that person. A blessing is a reminder that God has not designed us to live by our own devices. We are bound together with one another and with all of creation, and we are called to work for the well-being of those whom we share life with and those who will follow. So offering a blessing is a profound act of hope. In blessing one another, we recognize and ally ourselves with the presence of God who is ever working to bring about the healing of the world. Blessing someone is a profound act of hope. Let's pray. We first just say, come Holy Spirit. Would you work the room? We all have an open posture, whatever it is you have for us today. Whatever it is you want to do, will we not be distracted for these moments? I pray that we would worship well in these moments, that we would, you are worthy of all praise because of you're just, you're worthy of praise. So I pray that just a spirit of just praise and worship would fall in this room. I pray that each person here would have the courage to, to respond to just your goodness, that you are with us, that you love us. So might we really, really, really worship always think, Father, that if we can't worship together here in a room where we have lots of people who love you, how can we worship anywhere else? How can we bring your hope anywhere else? So come, Holy Spirit. Would you move in ways that, that are powerful?